0: Gunning Truth with Ronnie, in association with the Arsenal Cape Town Official Supporters Club, a podcast that dissects all things Arsenal. A very personal blue day at Stamford Bridge last Sunday, where Arsenal came away with a vital three points to go back on top of the Premier League after Man City scraped a 2-1 victory over Fulham. Uh, Disappointing that uh, once again, it seems like decisions in the Premier League on the one day is good for the one and on the other... Not good for the others. So no consistency once again, especially in previous podcasts. Uh, I can remember back to the Southampton draw, where Arsenal were dominating in the first half. And certain incidents, which also took place in the Manchester City game, took place in that game. And that's where we ended up dropping points. And for the same incidents, Man City got a penalty and were able to gain uh, two points because they would have drawn... At that stage, and they ended up winning to go top of the league. And then obviously all the pressure on Arsenal. However, it just seems like at this moment in time, we are able to handle all that pressure. And a fantastic, fantastic performance. Other than actually putting Chelsea away. One of the most comfortable 1-0 wins that you will ever see. Obviously, we've had a little personal issue with our former club captain... Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who obviously left us for Barcelona and then not even seven months later, uh, ends up at Chelsea. So uh, obviously, clearly, uh, you have to look after yourself as a uh, professional sportsman. But uh, there's just certain mercenary-type traits which I've never actually respected. Obviously, when he joined Arsenal, he was one of my favourite players at Dortmund when I used to follow uh, the Klopp Dortmund. And uh, obviously always liked him, always followed him. But uh, obviously there were all these mumblings of uh, the the off-the-field young And obviously while he was scoring goals for us, uh, all those things took a backseat. But uh, when it obviously started drying up the goals and there wasn't work ethic anymore, then all those things that you hear about in the press uh, became... Prevalent in the sense of uh, issues, late coming and all those type of things that ended up, you know, uh, alienating him from the management of Arsenal. But that's neither here nor there. He was awful, got substituted. Obviously, the Arsenal away fans uh, basically uh, <laughs> chanted some really funny chants at him during the game. But uh, all in all, it's not about him. It's about the Arsenal and going back on top once again after a very, very good performance, a performance of a team that is seen as, I don't know if we are still the youngest, Uh, some stats say we're the youngest squad and some stats say we're the second youngest squad, but I'm going to go with we're the youngest squad and the level of maturity that we've shown up until this point while pundits and naysayers continue to write us off. Uh, to be fair, I obviously have my own thoughts on where I think we will go just based on certain things that I'm seeing in the weekday when we are having to change the team. And obviously those results are all for there to see. Uh, you can be as positive as you want when you look at the league table. But the problem is uh, I'm one of those few people that have actually analysed what a World Cup can do for you from a positive standpoint and a negative standpoint. The fact that Arsenal are in a new territory and obviously we still have one more game to go to, obviously uh, uh, say that we are going top of the league, going into Christmas or going into the World Cup. But uh, there are certain things that I want to talk about in this podcast as we go ahead uh, into the podcast uh, with regards to my feelings uh, on what is going to happen in the future. And I can actually divulge or analyse those type of things, uh, a deep dive, as I like to say, in podcasts during the World Cup. But for now, uh, very happy with the win. We controlled the game. We were able to defend well. That was very important. So full-backs defending well, midfield defending well, uh, and obviously making the job a little bit easier for our two centre-backs. So, yes, your centre-backs are good or can be good, uh, especially if you compare what we had in the past. However, you still need your full-backs to work well with them and also with the structure of the team where we've got uh, one uh, full-back that drops into midfield and allowing... Uh, our midfielders to obviously push forward. So we've got this very, very intricate way of playing, whether we attack or defend, and it's vital for our midfielders centrally to protect our centre-backs as well, because one of those fullbacks will be pushing forward. It's obviously impossible for both to push forward at the same time because the ball is on one side of the field but there are intricacies when it comes to defending and setting up the team from an attacking standpoint. And all of those things is why I say Arsenal controlled the game very well. Obviously, Chelsea has a very, very expensive squad. If you go through that starting lineup, then you will notice big, big, big transfer fees. However, the player that was free and the oldest on the field was actually the best player for Chelsea. However, Arsenal controlled the game once again from defence all the way through midfield as well as our attacking quarters. However, I felt that it was once again a little bit scratchy. And when I say scratchy, we could have done much better in terms of what the end result was just due to the fact that we scuffed at certain shots and uh, we weren't clinical, we weren't sharp. And that is actually quite strange, because normally we tend to struggle at uh, Stamford Bridge, not the last four seasons, because it's nine total, three wins and a draw under Arteta at Stamford Bridge. However, it just seems like the other wins, we were a little bit more clinical. We had less chances, less ball, less control. However, it's just for some weird and strange reason, we weren't able to really finish them off. It, it, it felt like a 3-0 or 4-0 type of a game. But uh, unfortunately, we weren't quite sharp enough up front. Uh, Martinelli, Saka, Jesus worked hard. They were excellent. They pushed back Chelsea's wing-backs. However, uh, still only one goal and a sh- scrappy-ish goal from a corner where uh, Saka was actually struggling with his delivery. But a very, very dangerous ball in. And yeah, Couturella just held onto one of the Arsenal players and the ball obviously passed him. And uh, Gabriel Magesh was able to get the ball into the net. And it was quite amazing to see the Arsenal players running all as a group past Aubameyang. It's actually amazing that there weren't clearer imagery to that moment. I'm sure there's something that we can find on Getty Images, whereby uh, some imagery of Arsenal players running past a dejected Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as we were celebrating this 1-0 victory. Uh One thing that I also want to name uh, on this victory is the, the social media fan view, the differing social media views when it comes to performances in this game. Obviously, everybody's very happy that we won the game. Everybody's happy that we top. However, as I've mentioned in one or two podcasts as well, and it's a theme that uh, obviously we are in, a, you know, a different sort of moment, as the European managers used to say, the moment that we are in. And uh, we're obviously not used to being top of the log or close to the top uh, in the sense of points at this stage. And obviously with who we're competing with, we are obviously all aware of the strength of Manchester City. We are aware of the fact that they basically push for 90 points every season, and it's going to be so tough for us to get there, even though the trajectory seems like we can get close to 90, uh, anything between 80 and 90. However, once again, you have to take into account all the factors. You don't know what's going to happen post-World Cup. Uh, You don't know if Arsenal's going to spend and spend in the right positions because there's also a squad problem that we've got. And... uh, The fixtures, we've got some very, very difficult away fixtures and away fixtures in and around the Europa League quarterfinals slash semifinals. We've got very difficult away games. The likes of Newcastle, Liverpool, Man United. Sorry, Manchester City. So these are grounds where we got tidings last season. 2-0, 4-0, 5-0. So it's obviously not right look so far ahead that is april may however everything that's happening now is good it's positive however there are negatives and that is the squad situation and that is what concerns me for the second half of the season and remember uh, the league will end with us on 14 games (laughs) this coming saturday when we play wolves and that means there are still quite a few games to go. 24 games to go. Uh, that's going to be truncated in a short space of time. Uh, the World Cup will end, I'm thinking it's around about the 18th of December. And then there's eight days before our Boxing date clash with West Ham at the Emirates. So... Just got a little bit, little bit concerned, especially because I mean, I'm mean i liking the feeling of us on top of the log. Or if it is that we draw and Man City wins, we will be tied top. I can't see us losing uh, on, on Saturday. Brilliant position that we are in. However, it's just a bit concerning the fact that we've got the squad problem and that I will analyse when I look back at the Brighton game, which wasn't on TV, by the way. So, Arsenal, 13 games played, 11 wins, 1 draw, 1 loss, 34 points. Win dream world, people. Man City, 2 points behind us, 13 games played, 32 points. And then we've got Newcastle United. They are here to stay, people. 14 games played, 27 points. Spurs in fourth, 26 points. Also played a game more. And then Man United in fifth place on 23 points, having played a game less than the fourth-placed Tottenham. So, uh, Arsenal, City, Newcastle all have only lost one game. However, Newcastle have drawn six games and they've played a game more. So, they are here to stay and they could be competing. They can go and spend big in January. That's if players are wanting to come into their project and their project is going to go Boom, because of the amount of money that they have. So, Arsenal top of the log. We play Wolves next. I will preview that in this podcast. Up the Arsenal. Arsenal 1, Brighton and Hove and Albion. A team that has two ands, as I like to call them. Three. Very disappointing Carabao Cup game. Uh, I personally am not too fussed because I've been moaning and mentioning fixtures since the beginning of the season. And obviously we know the World Cup is there. We know there's been games postponed. We know that our squad isn't strong enough. And how is it that we can expect with a squad that is not doing so well when we change the team to beat High Flying Brighton? The one concern I had was... The most important defensive midfielder was playing at centre-back, Caicedo. Trossard weren't there. They made seven to eight changes. So it's concerning that a changed Brighton team was able to relatively easily beat Arsenal. Or Arsenal's changed team, the team that's been playing every week in the Europa League and obviously not performing. So there's obviously concerns with the squad situation. I do feel holistically I'm okay to not be in the Carabao Cup. Uh, One or two people said maybe it shouldn't even have taken place this season just due to the congested nature of the upcoming fixture list, especially after Christmas. So a lot of games happening there. I think the next round of the Carabao Cup actually kicks off the post-World Cup season. So absolute madness. Imagine having to play a big team away from home, maybe a Liverpool at Anfield, couple of days after the World Cup, let's say an Arsenal player or Arsenal players nation won the, won the World Cup, and then a couple of days later, obviously they wouldn't have played, they would have been given a couple of days off, I'm sure, but uh, it's, it's just not sustainable. And what makes it more or less sustainable is the performance of the players that's coming in within our spine. So first of all, this game wasn't anywhere in the world on TV. Uh, I found it very difficult to engage positively in the game. Uh, I was able to listen on Arsenal.com. They had live commentary. Now, what I couldn't understand, they had the live break, uh, what do they call it? I don't know what they call it, but it's a show that uh, the Arsenal media team has Generally, they have it on the .dot .com website before games. The breakdown. It's like a little preview show to the game. They had it on YouTube and thousands and thousands, possibly millions, was able to view it without any lagging issues. It made no sense to me that they couldn't show the game on YouTube. There is the Women's Champions League that is on DAZN. Uh, there is the... Women's uh, Primera Division, so that's the Spanish La Liga, the women's version, with no lagging issues on YouTube. You can watch it in up to 1080p. I don't know if it's in 4K. So I don't know what is it so difficult about putting these games. I, I It can't be about money. You can run ads at halftime, so I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me that they could have the breakdown show which they have cameras for. And the game, you could see goals on, I think, on the Sky Sports Twitter handle. You could see the goals. So there was cameras and stuff there. So it made no sense that they couldn't show the game, but it was clearly a game to be forgotten. Uh, Some positives was uh, one or two runs from Nelson. Uh, Obviously, when you have people on Twitter being able to uh, show... bits bits and bobs of the game live, then uh, that's basically where you got to see uh, the goal, the build-up to the goal. So a very good goal, good finish from Ketia, But unfortunately, journalists that I trust, uh, in terms of information that they bring forth, they were at the notion that Mketia yet again had a poor game. Now, if we analyse, and obviously I made notes of this in previous podcasts, moment the Europa League season started, I said that we're going to have seven consecutive weekdays where changed teams are going to play. Now, there's two ways to look at it. The one way is when players that is not from our starting eleven plays with players from the starting eleven, And I'm using two examples here. Vieira, when we played Brentford, I had a very good game because he was playing with the rest of the what we call starting guys, and Nelson when he came on for Saka against Nottingham scored two goals, looked energetic, looked good. However, on the other end of the or the other side of things, when you have these guys playing for the slightly weaker team, you would expect them to you know to show up to maybe stand out, and that has been the unfortunate thing. And in our spine, we have. Turner, who I thought was good and unlucky not to have played yesterday. He made the American national team. So he was very unlucky not to play. But I do understand why we had to somewhere along the line give uh, our third keeper, Hein, game time, because he's actually going to be our goalkeeper in the little pre-season or off-season or during World Cup uh, a summer or warm weather training in Dubai. So he's going to be involved. So somewhere along the line, you would have needed to get a proper game of football. And obviously the Carabao Cup was, obviously deemed important enough for him to be able to play. So that's our third keeper that started. But the spine from the change team would normally be one of our main centre-backs alongside Holding. So Holding has now also done that thing where he looks good after a couple of games, but then if he plays for a longer period of time, he progressively gets worse. So struggled against PSV, I think home and away, and uh, or he could have been half-decent in the home leg against PSV. And then struggled in Bodo, struggled in the... PSV away game, obviously, and struggled against Zurich, and then also struggled yesterday against Brighton. Once again, I didn't watch the game. This is from obviously from well-known journalists that was at the stadium. And obviously, uh, there's here in the highlights that you could see. Build-up play to the goals conceded as well as the final bits where the opposition scored. So, obviously, part of the spine is the midfield. El Nani had a good game. So he came back from injury and has had a couple of good games when he came on, but nothing exceptional. And then the other part is uh, Sambi Lakonga, who has now two consecutive games since Elneny was able to come back, two consecutive games where Sambi was able to play at home on the left eight role and flattered, flattered to deceive. Obviously, we can't expect him to do miracles, but he has played every game. He started all seven games and has been substituted in almost all of them. So, uh, s- type of a player that uh, has made a little bit of noise in the media in terms of game time, has played every week and no improvement. Uh, in fact, has also been moved into his position that he prefers. And, yeah, Unfortunately, we need, we're going to need these players to perform if we are not going to get the right players in the January transfer market. So I don't know if it's going to, if he's going to get better because there's going to be less opportunity for him to stake a claim going forward because in the Europa League, there's only going to be tough games. Who knows what team we're going to get in the first round uh, of the FA Cup when that resumes in January. So... How many more games is he going to be able to play other than coming off the bench and maybe stinking out the place because he's sulking or he hasn't got the confidence to play? And then other parts is Vieira, 40 million euro by 35 million pounds we spent on him, or we're we still probably paying parts of it off. Also, not really taking the game by the scruff of the neck. I was very impressed with him against Zurich, uh, away at times. I was impressed with him in the home leg against Bodo Glimpt and then obviously against Brentford in the league when he started. Had a good cameo when he came on at Old Trafford as well. But furthermore, it just seems like he's not quite there yet. Now, some players seems to not perform well in the league, understandable, but most of his games has been Europa League, where, you, where he just couldn't uh, uh, take advantage of game time and thus not really pushing the first team. And also very poor, £100,000 per week contract, and he's our second striker. So confidence was shown in him. He has scored three goals, but his general play. Now and then, he's pressing when he comes on in the second half of games, in league games, has been good, but uh, finishing isn't there. And, uh, yeah, once again, not good reviews from Ketia. Nelson is probably the only one that's got his head held high. Uh, Marquinhos worked hard. Uh, got a yellow card, I think it is in the first half. Worked hard against Brighton. That's what I could deduce from the commentator because he was all over when it was when it came to the pressing side of things. So maybe there's there's an opportunity for him to go out on loan if it is that we are going to be getting a forward player. Come January, which we desperately need, we need. ESR back to compete in the 10 position because at this moment in time, Vieira isn't really competing. And also, Arteta said post-match, there hasn't been a pre-season for Vieira. Came with a moon boot to pre-season. He obviously still needs to bulk up or be physically stronger for the Premier League. And then uh, he's being asked to play left-wide, mid, right-wide, mid, and a new new role in midfield because uh, our number 10 has a different role to the number 10 position that he played for Porto. So that is obviously a little bit of an excuse or two. However, uh, I don't know if we have that time, especially with the fact that we are now top of the league. Have we got time for certain players to still bed in while our squad isn't strong enough? So now you've got a situation where... You, do, you can't really rotate because you're waiting on a player to still bed himself in. And that's going to be another thing in terms of the type of players that we buy. Maybe we should be looking at Premier League ready, which obviously comes with a premium price. However, two Premier League ready players, Zaha and Tillemans, are both in their final six months of their contract. So I don't know if attitude-wise, both of those players are going to be able to come into our team culture and team ethic. I'm not sure. Maybe that is why we haven't bought them, even though they were heavily linked with us. But uh, hopefully there is something in the works. It has to be now already, especially with people being busy during the World Cup, agents being busy during the World Cup. So I'm hoping that we've laid the groundwork to be able to push hard the moment that World Cup finishes so that by the 1st of January, we have players coming in. So, Arsenal, out of the Carabao Cup, we've got three trophies to play for. FA Cup, Europa League and the Premier League. Everybody is still writing us off, most Arsenal fans as well, because, similar to my thoughts, we want the team to win the league, we want the team to do well, however, the squad is just not there. Come on, (laughs) Juvenas. Back to our women's segment and uh, to my dismay after stating last week that uh, the international break is happening. All the apps that I follow that's supposed to give me the proper information seems to have indicated that the international break would have been the last week. However, there was another match day week in the Women's Super League. And as I'm busy doing this podcast, it's now the women's international break. And not last week. So, Arsenal women played on Sunday afternoon at Leicester. Where Arsenal was able to comfortably beat the bottom team in the WSL. 4-0 victory. Which obviously gave Arsenal their 14th consecutive WSL victory. Which, obviously, last week they already uh, have the record on their own. So, that's 14 consecutive games with Arsenal, after six games, now being solely out front. Well, Chelsea has played a game more also on the same points, because Chelsea went on to beat Manchester United away from home in the top of the the table clash, you can call it, because Chelsea was third and Manchester, Manchester United was first. However, with Arsenal beating Leicester away from home last week, Arsenal are now... Top of the log, six games played, six wins, 18 goals scored, only one conceded. A silly mistake against West Ham ladies, the only goal Arsenal have conceded so far. Chelsea, also on 18 points, but they played a game more. And then Man United in third place, 15 points. Obviously, their first loss took place to Chelsea last week. So uh, the international break is taking place currently. And Arsenal are hosting Man United ladies at the Emirates Stadium next week after the international break. So when they come back, apparently thirty to thirty-five thousand tickets have been sold already. So the Emirates will be pumping again, like it was for when we played Tottenham, and we had over forty thousand, close to yeah, I think it was fifty thousand. I still made a podcast about it. Oh, uh, so hopefully they can get over forty thousand fans in. It's obviously going to be in and around the World Cup weekend when that game takes place. Obviously, with Arsenal being top, they obviously want to continue that. And at home at the Emirates Stadium against a Man United ladies team that started excellently. However, they lost their first game of the season to Chelsea at their home ground. So, once again, exciting times ahead for Arsenal. Women, after the international break, they also then post the Man United game at the Emirates Stadium, go to the Turin or the Juventus Stadium to play Juventus women in the Women's Champions League. So I'll preview that when it does take place. But Arsenal, top of the league in the men's and top of the league in the women's. 18 points after six games, 100% record, only one goal conceded and 18 scored with an average of three goals per game. So the women looking good. And then the under-21s, they are also still top of the log after beating Everton 3-1. Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester City all played 11 points, all separated by one point each. So Arsenal 23 points, Liverpool 22 points, Manchester City 21 points. And then Chelsea have played a game more, 12 points, sorry, 20 points in the 12 games. So very interesting Premier League 2 taking place with all the big teams battling it out in the top four position. Obviously, one loss, and you can be as low as fourth. And if you win, especially against a big team, then you can actually have a little bit of a gap there. So the under-21s doing well. The under-18s, unfortunately, led by Jack Wilshire, uh, drew a very exciting 3-3 game. But uh, once again, the same problems as when I started talking about the under-18s. They tend to concede first and then they have to keep on having to push back. Uh, Nguyen was phenomenal in this game as an assist and a goal. However, Arsenal are out of the under-18 cup where they have a little bit of a group stage situation. And Arsenal obviously drawing a few and losing one. I think they drew two and lost lost one. So they are struggling to not concede goals under Jack Walsh, But they are obviously pushing in the sense that they've got under-16s, under-17s coming. And then their best players tends to play for the under-21s. So it is very tricky, the under-18s, in terms of getting a couple of results together. But that's the only part of the whole Arsenal pyramid that seems to be struggling a little bit at this moment in time. The under-21s, top the men's Europa League team top, the men's team top, the women's team top, and the women's team top of the Champions League group as well, so everyone's top, except the under-18s top of the table, come on you So I'm going to end off this week's podcast with a quick look at our game against Wolves on Saturday, this is the first Saturday game in absolute, it could be two months Uh, I honestly can't remember. I think it could have been Liverpool. No, we played Liverpool on the Sunday. We played Tottenham on the Sunday. It's been a while since Arsenal last played on a Saturday and a Saturday evening as well. Same time as the national world champions rugby team, as a couple of my friends have pointed out, that the box are playing the same time as Arsenal. And the box are playing at the same venue where The other day, Marseille lost to Tottenham, where we had a bunch of Arsenal players on the same field where the box are playing, messing up Kolasinac, Gwendouzi, Tavares. So uh, quite an interesting evening this Saturday. However, the eyes are all on the table-topping Arsenal Football Club. Hopefully no real injuries. uh, That's going to lead up to the game. Obviously, at the time of the podcast, there's been quite a few of our players that's been selected for their World Cup teams. So it's quite exciting times for our players. Uh, Tommy Yasu was the first one to be named in the Japan team. He's currently dealing with a lower leg issue, the same issue. I think it could be calf related. Obviously, last season he was out for an extended period of time. Both calves getting injured through various stages of last season. However, Oteta and the medical team are confident that he will make the World Cup. And then the Brazilian team got announced. Unfortunately for Gabriel Magaes, he wasn't able to make it. Two out of form, one very old and one young players were chosen ahead of him. Uh, Bremer from Juventus, a young centre-back that's been struggling in the Serie A. And Danny Alves, who will Obviously, be playing right back, but he's part of the defensive group that was selected, even though they have two other right backs. So, he was selected probably for experience as well. So, disappointing for Gabriel Magaes, however. An exciting time for Gabriel Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus. Both selected for the Brazil national team. The way that Brazil play under Tite, it's unlikely that we will see Martinelli get much game time. He could but they've got so many wingers and so many wide forwards that it's going to be tough. And Richarlison of Spurs tends to play up front uh, ahead of two attacking wide players and Neymar. So it will be tough if to see Jesus playing and obviously Tite trusts Richarlison and that Richarlison has been doing well for Brazil, scoring lots of goals for them. So it'll be tricky to, to hear or see Gabriel Jesus Uh, especially it will be tricky for him to get into the starting team, but he will fight hard on the training pitch. Uh, The Belgian team was announced, and obviously no Sambi Lokonga. He obviously clearly hasn't got a good relationship with the manager, uh, Martinez, and obviously he hasn't been performing in the weeks where he's had opportunities, uh, unfortunately for him. The England team got announced and very exciting news for Ben White, Benjamin White, I should say, Bukayo Saka and Ramsdale. Once again, highly likely that only Saka will start. However, I feel that uh, Ben White has been brilliant. So I would actually play him at right back for England. Uh, A lot of people are saying he should be joining Stones as centre-backs, but I feel he's been excellent as a right back, so they should use him as one. Uh, I don't know if they'll play three at the back or if they are going to go with a back four. That's Southgate's problems. Other players that's made it, obviously, William Saliba making the reigning, defending, undisputed world champion squad. So very happy for him. And then, obviously, Granite Xhaka, the captain of Switzerland. So that's actually quite exciting for him to see. So Japan, Tomiyasu, Brazil, Jesus Martinelli, Switzerland, Xhaka. Who else was there? Uh, England, obviously, three players. Ramsdale, Saka and Ben White. And then we obviously had the national team of the United States. Not Tina Turner anymore. Matt Turner making the United States squads. And then some other tidbits in the World Cup squads. uh, Former players. We've got the likes of Aaron Ramsey, who are for Wales. Uh, You've got... I can't think of... Yeah, France, they've got Guendouzi actually made the World Cup's squad, Can you believe it? So, Guendouzi for France. And then there was another former Arsenal player. Uh, yes, uh, for Germany, we have Serge Nubry. Unfortunately, uh, Bernd Leno didn't make it. Uh, other former Arsenal players. is actually in the Costa Rica national team, Joe Campbell. Who remembers him? So that's actually quite exciting to see. Uh, in Portugal, we obviously have two players, but they, they were not going to make it. Uh, Vieira and Nuno Tavares, as well as uh, Cedric Suarez. They were all actually part of the, the larger 55 men squad, so they are internationally recognised. But unfortunately, they didn't make it. And then for Poland, Szczesny has made it. Weirdly enough... There is no Fabianski. They've got two other keepers that also ends with a ski, but they didn't make it. So, positive news for Arsenal on the World Cup front. Uh, There are one or two more countries that still need to name their teams. Uh, off I can't think of any other Arsenal players that's going to the World Cup. But uh, positive, and I will be reviewing all the performances, all the stats, from the Arsenal players at the World Cup in podcasts during the World Cup. But back to Wolves Arsenal. Obviously, they've got their huge Portuguese contingent and we have two currently. Uh, That's Portuguese. However, we've got the Brazilians that speak Portuguese. So a whole Portuguese vibe to the game at the Molyneux on Saturday evening, 9.45pm kickoff. I fully expect Arsenal to go back to the team Similar team, or the same team that beat Chelsea. Rams that in goal, he will be going to the World Cup. White at right back, will be going to the World Cup. Saliba, right centre-back, going to the World Cup. And then obviously our left side of our defence, they will be going on a little bit of a break. I think it's an eight-day break, and then they're going to meet up on the 4th of December. It's actually more than eight days. 4th of December in Dubai. Or first at London Colony and then in Dubai. They'll probably do some tests. At uh, Salah, uh, Gabriel Magayesh, who's not going sadly to the World Cup. And left back Zinchenko. Thomas Partey. Oh yes, Ghana's team will be announced on Monday. He is going to the World Cup. So uh, Thomas Partey at the pivot. And then our left eight, Granit will captain Switzerland. Odegaard, our captain. Unfortunately, Norway didn't make it. Neither did Haaland, by the way. So you will be well-rested. And then up front, all three players made their World Cup squads. Bukayo Saka on the right wing. Left wing, Gabriel Martinelli. And up front, Gabriel Jesus. So hopefully these guys have an extra spring in this step. Hopefully they are not going to save themselves for the World Cup. So a positive and a negative. Positive being they got that extra spring in this step. They want to, for one last time, show their coaches that they are what they say or what they felt that they are. And then obviously the other part is that they might not play at 100% because the World Cup is around the corner. Loads of top players won't be there due to the scheduling, due to muscle injuries, due to long-term injuries. So I'm hoping for a 3-1 win for Arsenal. Uh, We've actually been uh, doing quite well away from home when it comes to clean sheets. And there's been quite a few clean sheets recently when we've played our strong team, mind you. So, uh, however, I feel, uh, I don't know, Pedro Neto won't be playing, but uh, we've obviously got the likes of Jimenez. Uh, Costa is suspended. He got a red card recently, so he won't be playing Diego Costa. And then Ruben Neves has been in great form, and he always seems to do well against us. So, uh, looking forward to that. I think Adama Traore is also there. He hasn't been playing well, but also somebody that's actually played well against us in the past. And then they've got Podence. So, quite a few players that can cause us problems, but they are struggling. And I hope and feel that the the players that played last week comes into the team and proves another point. And obviously, we will know what Man City would have done. I think they played Brentford at the Etihad, so they will thrash Brentford. So, Arsenal will once again be going into that evening game. Second, a win will take us back to the top. Up the Arsenal, 3-1. Come on, you gunners. I'm I'm gonna make you mine. They say he wants your water, I'm going into you wine I believe in Jesus, he loves some love and fire Oh, get content and content, so now's your time to shine There's I'm gonna make you mine. They say he wants water, into wine Oh Guys!